Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Welcome to episode three of A Congruent Life. I'm Andy Gray. Thanks very much for joining us. A Congruent Life is about telling stories of authenticity and happiness, sharing the stories of people who are taking charge of their lives and living in an authentic way, whatever that might mean to them. In these audio podcasts, I'm sharing some interesting conversations with people doing just that, like today's conversation with Christine Walters Paintner. I'm excited to be talking today with Christine Walters Paintner, a wonderful writer and contemplative who describes herself as the online abbess of a virtual community called Abbey of the Arts. Christine, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thanks, Andy. I'm really glad to be with you. So first of all, what is Abbey of the Arts and how did it come into being? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, Abbey of the Arts is really sort of the vision I had a few years ago when I discovered that my two great loves in life were the creative path and the contemplative path. And so that name, Abbey of the Arts, just sort of came to me one day and it just sort of embodied all the things I love about a a life committed to slowness and presence and attentiveness and also a life committed to creativity and passion and expression and joyfulness. It started off as a website and then became a community of people essentially gathering together to look for ways to integrate these two paths, the monk and the artist path. And so I'm really grateful for that, um, having this community even virtually, which means that it extends across the world now. So it's pretty thrilling to have monks and artists, you know, all across the world committed to this way of life. What a fantastic opportunity to reach people in a different kind of way. It's one of the great things about the internet and online communities is the way that it really can make those distances shorter. Yeah, I feel really grateful to be alive, like at this moment in time, you know, when the internet is, you know, growing up, we, we didn't have that at all. And um, and so I think like as the internet is becoming so pervasive, like for me and my work, like being right at this moment just feels very exciting because there's not a lot of other people doing at least the work in spirituality online and so i'm very grateful for that fantastic so you are a benedictine oblate what does that really mean and, and how does that influence your path in the world well it essentially means that i've made a commitment as a lay person to live out the benedictine way of life and the benedictine path is a ancient Christian monastic tradition. And so when I was living in the Pacific Northwest uh, near Seattle, I was living in Seattle, but the monastery that I was associated with was about an hour from Seattle, a community of women. And so the Oblates would gather together once a month for um, shared prayer and reflection and support of one another. And the Oblate community is both men and women and also ecumenical, which I really love. And essentially is a way for us to uh, come together and to live out this monastic path, and particularly through the lens of the Benedictine rule, which has its sort of own monastic character. Um, 
but really it's just a way that I live that out in my everyday life as a ordinary person with my husband, wherever we happen to be. Your latest book is called Eyes of the Heart, Photography as a Christian Contemplative Practice. And I, I love the, the challenges in this book of kind of changing your way of, of seeing the world and how you challenge us to receive images rather than taking pictures. Can you talk a bit about your perspective of photography as a form of visio divina or sacred scene? Yeah, um, I've long loved the practice and monastic tradition of Lexio Divina, which is uh, known as sacred reading. And it's this contemplative way of receiving, of being with a sacred text and listening for what shimmers in that text and then receiving the gift that's being offered to me in this moment of time. And so as I worked with photography over the years, um, I've always had a camera in my hands because my grandparents owned a whole chain of photo stores in the Northeast when I was growing up. And so when I embarked on the monastic path as an adult, I started to see this as a contemplative practice, as a way of not taking images, which is really the common language and even a word that I often still fall into using. But the idea is that the taking images language really kind of reflects how we move through the world and in a particularly in the western world this sort of we move through life trying to grasp at, for what we need in a given moment we have bring a set of expectations to our experience and so this path of photography as a contemplative practice through this adaptation of um, visio divina or sacred seeing the idea is that as we move through the world, we can open ourselves from this heart-centered place, which is different than the kind of analytical, um, sort of logical <laughs> mind that wants to figure things out or wants to put things in boxes. And so from this heart-centered place, we can um, open ourselves to a different kind of experience, really to an encounter with something greater than ourselves in any given moment. And so we can notice around ourselves what is shimmering, what is calling to my attention, and what is the gift that I am being invited to receive. So instead of taking photos, I'm receiving them. I'm noticing which images sort of have some energy for me, which ones are I'm curious about. And so it's just a shift in how we approach the practice so that it becomes its own contemplative path, its own way of cultivating this, um, basically a posture of receiving in everyday life instead of always taking everything and always thinking that we are entitled to things. What is it like to move through the world just open to receiving the gifts that are being offered? I love that metaphor of seeing what's shimmering. It makes it so, so real and tangible in that way. Yeah, shimmering is one of my favorite words, as some people will tell you. <laughs> so how has this uh, this practice, this perspective on photography been significant in your own spiritual journey? Well, it's definitely been a way for me of um, cultivating the contemplative life in a creative way. So for me, the arts have always been important, uh, an important vehicle for me to... Um, to kind of discover what's most important, what's alive in me, what what expression wants to come forth. Um, and I think 
I do have silent contemplative practices where I sit and meditate, but I also find that for me, practices like photography, walking as a contemplative practice, that there's the contemplative life is really about bringing this kind of awareness, this heart-centered awareness to the whole of our lives. So not just when we're sitting in silence. And so photography for me especially has this way of um, inviting me out into the world and cultivating this um, this way of seeing, this way of receiving um, the gifts that are being offered to me. So that even when I don't have my camera, even when I'm not intentionally receiving photos, I'm I'm open to a new kind of grace that might be breaking in. I would imagine that would be a... a fantastic benefit of sort of retraining your mind and your eyes and your vision in this way so that even when you aren't, as you say, intentionally uh, having a, a camera in your hand, you're able to see the world in a different kind of way. Yeah, exactly. I, I believe very much in practice. And in the monastic tradition, there's a great emphasis on, on basically, it's a life lifelong practice when we um, show up again and again every day to train our basically retrain ourselves out of our habits of falling asleep to life of living only through our expectations and so forth we we retrain ourselves to see life in a whole new way but that takes practice so even after all these years of contemplative practice I mean I have still have many moments when I'm falling asleep and so I have to Benedict has this wonderful image of always we begin again and the idea is that in the spiritual life, we're always beginners. And there's a similar idea in, you know, Buddhist practice, this idea of beginner's mind. And I think that for contemplatives, that's a really important um, kind of principle, the sense that I'm, I'm always a beginner at this and I'm always, I'm always going to begin again and again. Like I'm going to, I am human and my mind is going to, you know, do its thing. <laughs> and so I have to be called back, you know, over and over to this practice. And then, of course, the, the gifts that come with that. The mission of this A Congruent Life project that I'm working on is, is all about sharing stories of authenticity. Um, what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? Hmm. That's a really lovely um, question. I, when I hear that image, I think a lot about this other image for me, which is I call following the thread. And it's really this this sort of way of life that has I've cultivated over the last several years of paying attention to how my own life is actually unfolding. And so it's instead of I'm a very goal-centered, planning-oriented kind of person. <laughs> I'm very set on the future in a lot of ways. And yet, this following the thread path is really about surrendering some of that and softening some of that and noticing, like, what is being called forth for me moment by moment? Like, what is... Um, what is the life that's moving through me? What is What wants to be created right now? Not what my mind wants to create or what my mind wants to set as a goal, but to listen for the particularly things like synchronicities and um, symbols that come up in my life over and over again. And so listening for the patterns, listening for the threads that are calling me forward. It's kind of, it's a very intuitive um, way of understanding things for me. So it's a little hard to put into words, but it's a sense of um, connecting back to living authentically, the sense of 
there is like there is a life that's moving through me that I can again receive it's very similar to this difference between receiving and taking in terms of photography so it's not about me figuring out you know how the direction I want my life to take although there is some of that direction it's about listening to what is the next the next step, the next unfolding right in this moment. And can I live with the unknowing of what comes after that? Or can I live even with the unknowing of taking this step and not knowing what's going to happen? And so that, I mean, that's led me in all kinds of um, interesting and unusual directions that I wouldn't necessarily have planned for myself, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That's a great bit of wisdom. Uh, Can you maybe talk about some of the directions that that's led you? Um, Sure. The, well, the biggest, most immediate one has been uh, a year ago, my husband and I uh, basically sold everything that we owned and we were living in Seattle and we loved our life in Seattle. We had a nice little home and um, we just, we had a nice life and good friends. And for the last, the last few years prior, we had been coming to Europe on um, summer vacations and then started to come at Christmas too. My father was from uh, Vienna, Austria, and I spent a lot of time there as a child, and it's a city I really love, and I had been kind of growing and this longing to spend more time there. And a couple of years ago, I ended up getting my dual citizenship with, with Austria. And uh, basically about a year ago, um, my husband at his job, uh, he was at teaching high school, uh, there were some big changes that were coming up in the curriculum the following year, and we basically decided, from more from an intuitive perspective, that rather than anything practical, because quitting his job didn't feel very practical, and selling our home didn't feel very practical, um, but really just connecting to this longing that we both had for a long time to live overseas, and um, the metaphor of uh, pilgrim and pilgrimage really speaks to me because to me, pilgrimage is about intentionally setting out on a journey where we where we give ourselves over to strangeness, to this feeling of often a feeling of exile when our longing is for home. And in that um, giving ourselves over to strangeness, we basically help to illuminate all the expectations that we're living in about how life should be. And so, for example, when we, you know, I had, even though I had spent a lot of time in Vienna, um, living in that culture definitely challenged a lot of my kind of preconceptions, just little small daily things about how you order things in restaurants and Um, just the formality of the place and things that are very different from U.S. culture. And so instead of thinking they should be doing it differently, (laughs) the call of the pilgrim is really to think, well, what are the expectations that I have that aren't really that helpful, that really kind of narrow me from having this experience of communion essentially with with other people who, you know, live in this other culture. And so this, um, yeah, this following the thread for me has been um, lately <laughs> called me to live in first in Vienna and now we live in Galway, Ireland. And again, that was um, partially partially practical because of immigration reasons for my husband in Austria, but largely the choice of Ireland was um, 
intuitive as a place we loved. And the choice of Galway was completely intuitive. I just wanted to be, I knew I wanted to be on the West Coast and I wanted to be on the place of the wild edges. It's just the image that kept coming to me. And in part because Ireland has such a rich history of monasticism. And I was really drawn to this image of the the monks who are called to the wild edges of things. And I just wanted to be in that place and experience that landscape and see what it shaped in my own imagination. What a great call to live on the wild edges of things. I love that imagery. In your blog a couple years ago, you wrote about an experience that you had where you were alone far from home and got sick unexpectedly. Would you be willing to tell us some about that experience? Sure. I um, It was also a trip to Vienna uh, a couple of years ago. It had been a really difficult um, period of time in our lives. Uh, my mother-in-law had Alzheimer's and she had entered hospice care in that fall. Um, we had a, a sweet, sweet old dog who also uh, developed dementia and um, became quite ill that fall and eventually we had to put her to sleep. And so there was a lot of a lot of stress in our lives. And I uh, flew to Vienna for a little time of um, personal retreat uh, alone. My husband was going to come meet me a couple weeks later. And um, and I ended up flying there. And when I first arrived, I started having these symptoms, um, some pain in my leg, and then eventually shortness of breath. And at first, I just sort of dismissed them as symptoms of um of basically long distance travel. Uh, and then the swelling in my leg, um, I really, I realized what was happening, which was that I had a blood clot and I had never had one before. And so I went to the hospital, to the emergency room in Austria by myself. And while I speak German, I'm not completely at home in that language. So there was that sense of strangeness that I was talking about before of feeling this um, vulnerability. And I went into the see the doctor, and she um, she looked at my leg. She said, "Well, we have to do a few tests, but um, you probably have a blood clot, and so I want you to sit in this wheelchair and do not move." She said, "Because if you move, the blood clot could break free, and you would die instantly." <laughs> So there I was sitting in this strange place waiting for, you know, how emergency rooms are even in foreign countries, waiting for hours and hours for this series of tests that I went through and sitting in this wheelchair and really being forced to reflect on, you know, what did that mean for me in that moment to be confronted very <laughs> in a very um, real way with my own mortality. What did that mean? And so part of it, the, the practice, the contemplative practice is really staying awake to what our experience is. And so I tried to cultivate this sense of awakening to what, to what was actually happening in me. And so sometimes that meant that I was awake and aware and I could come to terms with the fact that I could die instantly. But there were also moments during that time when I was terrified of that idea and I didn't, I didn't want to die. I wanted to see my husband again. I wanted to live longer. And so it was this really powerful, um, it ended up being this very powerful experience that 
basically kind of reverberated through my life for several months following. And, and obviously I, I, I did have a blood clot both in my leg and my lung and I ended up getting treated for that and being on blood thinners for several months um, and take good precautions now for air travel. But more than that, that, that event was, I think an early kind of precipitating event for this larger pilgrimage we're on because of this sense of, um, when you confront your own limits in such a real way, um, you know, I was 40 that year and <laughs> felt very significant, this sense of like, what are the things that I most long to do and what, are, why, you know, what stops me from doing those things? Um, I'd, I'd have to say that that <laughs> facing my mortality was a great impetus to sort of take a leap forward. <laughs> well, perhaps, um, not entirely consistent with your notion of following the thread, but what, what's next for you? What what current project in your world are you most excited about? <laughs> well, I'm, I have a lot going on, actually. Uh, I just finished uh, leading with a teaching partner of mine and my husband, a pilgrimage in Vienna, a week-long um, contemplative photography and writing retreat and uh, loved the experience. We had a small group, we stayed in an apartment, we used public transit, um, and then we went to sites and we had real spacious contemplative time to explore the area with our cameras and with our pen. And it was really kind of the fulfillment of a a dream I had of leading people in those kinds of experiences, knowing that I I don't like going on big bus tours that kind of herd you from place to place really quickly. And so that the beauty of that experience has really, um, really sparked my heart for bringing people on other kinds of pilgrimages like that. And so creating this basically the safe container for people to come and experience that kind of strangeness on the pilgrimage to have an encounter on the wild edges of things. Um, I'm in the process of planning for a, another pilgrimage in Germany sponsored by uh, Spiritual Directors International for following the footsteps of St. Hildegard of Bingen, who has been, uh, she was a Benedictine abbess and so, and a, an artist and a monk. So she's been a great inspiration to me. And in many ways, I kind of feel like the patron saint of the work that I do. So I'm really excited to do that. And now we're just, now that we've lived here in Ireland for a couple of months, we're starting to um, gather ideas. How would we create this similar kind of experience for um, for people here in Ireland? And how would it be different than kind of your usual tour? And how might we call people similarly to how I was called to come to this, you know, wild edge and notice what that calls forth in me? How, how might we bring people to that similar kind of experience and visit these ancient monastic ruins and imagine the monks who felt this, you know, desire and impulse to go to the edges of things and, and sort of what does that awaken? <laughs> so I'm excited about all of that. Uh, and you've talked some too about uh, creating this monastic order of monks. Can you, can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, it sort of feels like a crazy inspiration, but definitely, again, following the thread of my life. Um, crazy is good. Yes, I, I'm, I'm in favor of crazy and strange and weird and all of that. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like it's a natural progression, actually, of how the Abbey has developed. And 
um, not something again that I would have planned when we began, but what's happened is there's been this amazing community of people who've um, participated both in online classes and in live programs and who feel such a sense of kinship for this vision of embracing the monk and the artist and for living life in a different way, a more intentional way, a more expressive way. And so essentially, um, actually about a year ago, I led a retreat in the Northwest. Um, it's a movement and writing retreat. And so we would pause uh, four times during the day uh, at morning, noon, evening, and night um, at sort of a liturgy of the hours, but we would pause and we would do yoga or dance or write or a combination of all three. And it was exhilarating and it um, kind of comes out of my own practice of um sort of moving from diff between different modalities as a way of kind of uh, encouraging my own creativity. And at the end of that retreat, uh, we <laughs> sort of dubbed ourselves the holy disorder of dancing monks. Oh, that's and, great. Yeah. And I, I just, I fell in love with that image. Um, <laughs> and it's been, it's been shimmering for me over this past year, kind of calling to me as part of this bigger vision and the sense of disorder rather than order. I don't have anything against order per se, but um, I like this idea of um, calling people, you know, again, to surrender, surrender their sense of planning into into the following the thread into what may be perceived as sort of chaos or um, confusion or whatever that is. There's this such this rich tradition in monasticism of um, of entering into the unknowing of God, and so this space of um, like releasing the control of our mind. So this sense of disorder, which um, I think is really kind of just on the appearance of things. And then dancing, because <laughs> who doesn't love the image of a dancing monk? <laughs> and I think really for me, the the monk is about cultivating this really deep sense of joy in the world that for me, when I, when I pr practice these practices, when I show up for life, when I receive the gifts, that come to me, you know, throughout the day, every day, like I have this sense of joy and it doesn't mean I don't experience grief and sorrow and, um, and deep pain at times, but I feel like our capacity for the grief is proportionate to our capacity for joy. And so there's this necessity that we open ourselves fully to, to both, which is really about being fully human. Wow, that's great. So much fruitful work that you've got going on. How can our listeners engage with you and, and find out more about what you're doing and interact with you? Well, you can go to my website, which is abbeyofthearts.com. That's A-B-B-E-Y of the arts.com. And I have a, if you sign up for my newsletter, I have a little free Monk in the World seven-day course, and there's some free podcasts and a blog there. So lots of resources. Um, and my email is christine, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, at abbeyofthearts.com. That's wonderful. And I can attest to the value of the Monk Manifesto and, and those reflections that you provide. Some, some great stuff. Uh, thank you. So, Christine Baltner's painter, thank you very much for spending this time with us and, and sharing your stories. Great. Thanks, Andy. I really enjoyed it. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Christine Baltner's painter. 
Christine is generously offering our listeners a $20 discount off the summer offering of her online course, which she calls Way of the Monk, Path of the Artist. Thanks very much for that, Christine. You can take advantage of that by using the discount code ABBY20 when signing up for that. I'll put the code in the show notes, along with links to Abbey of the Arts and Christine's books and other materials. And speaking of the show notes, since this is episode number three, you can access this episode and the associated notes by going to acongruentlife.net slash three in your web browser. That's the number three. Thank you so much for supporting A Congruent Life. I really appreciate you being here and listening. We've got a lot of exciting things going on and some great things coming up in the future and some really interesting guests coming up in future episodes. So I hope that you enjoy those. If you'd like to keep in touch with what's going on with A Congruent Life, please join our mailing list, which you can do by going to the website at acongruentlife.net and just putting your email address in the box on the right. And as always, please feel free to let me know what you like about the show and suggestions that you might have for improving it. I read and reply to every email that you send to feedback at acongruentlife.net. Again, thanks very much, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.